Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I am Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, and joining me for a special two-part episode to break down the four-person draft that we've just done uh, and which you can find published on the Action Network is a marvelous triumvirate of fantasy goodness, Sean Corner, Chris Raybon, and Peter Jennings. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy pros rankers for the past half decade. Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. And Peter is a Fantasy Labs co-founder and two-time DFS world champion. You can follow them in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and CSURAM88. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets. Uh, Sean, Chris, uh, I know how you two guys are doing. I talk to you all the time. So I'm just going to ignore you right now. uh, And I'm going to get to Pete. Peter, how's it going? Doing well, man. Uh, In the midst of quite a few drafts, up to 300 already. So it's fun to draft with you boys and excited for this podcast. Oh, man, that's uh, you're just grinding those streets. It is great to have you back on the show. Uh, This is a special episode. As I mentioned, a two part episode. We get a lot of questions about best ball strategy, about roster construction and balancing positional demands about this player versus that player. So we figured that we could do a four person draft and use that as the vehicle to touch on a lot of these topics. So in this episode, part one, we're going to get some uh, general insight from Pete on his approach to best ball. Uh, He's playing, as he mentioned, in a lot of leagues at draft. uh, And uh, we're going to talk about our pre-draft plans for the league. And then we will get through rounds one through six. And then in part two, we will, uh, which will come out next week, we will go through rounds seven through 18. So uh, let's jump into it. Pete, I would like to get uh, your general sense of the the leagues that you are in. Uh, Which league size do you think provides the biggest edge and why? I think the biggest edge is probably still in a 12 man considering uh, the mistakes that people will make uh, in general, that uh, there's some, there's some big mistakes in later rounds that people are still making. I do like the three man fast drafts where people will auto draft and, and time out and the four man slow drafts as well. Uh, the four man slow drafts, I think people aren't paying enough attention to the tiers and there's some positional scarcity stuff that's really important. So the 12 mans have the most edge. The, the buy-ins are lower. Uh, so from a volume ROI perspective, I think the, the smaller drafts are, are really enticing, which is why I've done more of those. But that championship looks pretty sweet, a million dollars to first. So uh, that's, a, that's probably where the most edge is right now. You mentioned that you think uh, there are some inefficiencies, especially in the later rounds of the 12-team the drafts. Can you touch on that a little bit more? What are the things that you, you're seeing that you think you can exploit? People are just drafting guys that are really low in depth charts that have a chance not to play that much and uh, might be overvaluing certain guys. Um, You know, if you're doing your research and you understand where, you know, kind of the reports that are coming out now, you can get guys who should see a lot of volume and other players are drafting guys who might not even see the field, make a team. Um, You know, for a long time early, people were drafting guys like Doug Baldwin. Tyreek Hill is still massively overdrafted. Situations like that where there's just a lot of risk. And if you can grab guys that, look like they have certainty to be on the field. And, um, you know, even with coaching changes and whatnot, uh, there's a lot of edge. Do you have some big picture thoughts on how you adjust your strategy for different league sizes? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, in the four mans, you can really wait on running back, which is the opposite of like a 12 man where you really need to get running backs. Um, just depends. A, a lot of it comes down to these tiers. So you have certain tiers that uh, like tight end, for example, in these small drafts, I think there's a big, big edge to be had for making sure you get, you get one of the top three tight ends. And oftentimes I'm able to get two of the, the top three tight ends, which to me in the projections, that's the biggest drop off in tiers. Uh, you also have the four running backs and then receiver in the short, shorter drafts. I think there's a huge drop off as well around like Julian Edelman. So uh, just understanding where the tiers are and, you know, how far into drafts players are going to go uh, is a big edge. And, you know, the four man's like, you, you can see the last players drafted, there's still, you know, kind of a, some of the positions end like in the middle of a tier. So you have a lot of optionality and waiting in certain positions, quarterback and running back specifically at uh, the four man's. Yeah. So uh, we just got some of Pete's insight into uh, how he approaches the, the four man's. Uh, Rayvon, I would like to get your insight into, uh, and specifically this draft that we did in particular, uh, what was some of the strategy uh, that you had coming into it or, or the way that you thought you might approach it? Well, you know, I think with every draft you want to kind of play it by ear, but um, I had the first pick. And so with that pick, I really did think about taking Travis Kelsey, number one, um, to be honest with you. But uh, the, my thing is that, you know, 13 players last year scored over average over 20 points per game in half PPR scoring and uh, eight were quarterbacks and five were running backs. So, you know, what that tells me is that, you know, I'm not going to pass up potentially the highest scoring player in fantasy at a position that is still in demand. So I ended up taking Saquon Barkley. Um, then, you know, I didn't get to pick again for, for until, you know, this, the last pick of round two, um, Pete had already taken Kelsey. So I just ran it back with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell because I thought those guys, have a reasonable, a pretty good shot of, you know, also potentially being the RB1 or at least a, a top five back. So then when it came back to my turn in round four, Pete had taken uh, Kittle and, and Zach Ertz. And so I really wanted one of those guys, obviously. But since, since he um, had taken them, uh, it, it, what I thought I was going to do is that instead of continuing to draft running backs, since I had the maximum amount of guys that I could start, I had three guys that I thought – potentially could give me, you know, most weeks are probably going to end up being my starters barring injury. I thought the, the most upside for me, since I was already going to lose out um, probably at tight end was to um, just start hitting wide receiver. And I hit wide receiver for five straight picks. I started with Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, two guys who I think also are in the running for the overall wide receiver one. Um, and then I ran it back with uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And one of the reasons I did that was just to kind of, you know, even out a little bit, um, of my production I think if, if one of those guys goes off um, I think at least one of those guys will probably go off per week I know the Vikings are going to run a little bit more but their target shares are both probably going to be around 25 percent and then uh, Keenan Allen was that fifth guy so um, I just kind of went hard after the winning the flex um, in a totally different method than Pete in reaction to Pete's kind of just running away with uh, the stud tight ends. All right so Rayvon just basically broke down the entire draft there in two minutes. <laughs> Corner before the draft what were uh, some of the, the things that you were thinking about? I had similar strategy going in. I think with a four-man, it's key to, to have tiers and anticipate these huge drop-offs. Um, you know, something like a 12-man draft sort of evens out a little bit where you have, you know, you know you're going to have like eight running backs, five wide receivers, and one tight end taken before your pick. Um, you know, when you, when you factor out the drop-off, it, it pretty much evens out. But this draft, you know, if you only have two for, for my – 
second position, I had two and four picks between each um, pick. So I would try to anticipate what you guys would take and just calculate the drop-off. So, yeah, I was considering Kelsey at number two overall. Um, you know, I have him 40 points higher than Ertz and Kittle. So I was, um, you know, hoping he'd follow me in the second round. I, I don't know if that was wise in such a sharp four-man draft. But, um, you know, running back uh, after the fourth uh, running back, there's a 30-point drop-off. I even have a 25-point drop-off between Mahomes and the QB2. So I, got to, I could talk about that later. But um, just anticipating this huge drop-off. So it's, it's a little bit different than a 12-man draft. And I, I, you know, I don't think ADP translate well to a four-man draft. And also, you know, all of our teams are going to be stacked. So I figure only having to beat three other teams, I was going to focus more on high floor players. Um, I think whoever's going to win this will be, you know, someone that benefits from, you know, not having injuries and bust avoidance. So I, I thought, you know, taking elite wide receivers and quarterbacks is kind of a way to kind of, you know, take advantage of that. I should say this was the first four man I had done this year, and it probably shows in the way that I drafted. Uh, I think I kind of brought in a a 12-man best ball approach, um, which I don't know if that is really going to be uh, beneficial long-term uh, for uh, for four-man drafts. But one of the things I knew right away was I wanted to go late-round quarterback. I think no matter what format I'm in, I will probably always be looking to wait a long time at quarterback um, just because I think there's – there's such, I think, a, a high quality of play at that position in the league at this point. Uh, and so many guys who uh, can produce with their legs uh, that I just, I, I always want to wait at that position. Uh, I knew I wanted to go uh, running back pretty early um, just because with the best ball format, you don't have the benefit of adding players in the middle of the season from waivers. So I wanted to try to be as robust at that position as possible just to try to anticipate that at some point uh, guys will be injured. And I just want to try to be strong at the position. I thought I would probably be looking for wide receivers in the middle rounds, you know, knowing that there's a lot of volatility at the position. Uh, and hopefully I would be able to have enough wide receivers uh, to where even if I don't have a lot of premium guys, I can still have the, the volatility of the upside scoring that I might get from guys to kind of compensate. Uh, and then from a roster construction standpoint, I knew that I would probably want to have five to six running backs, at least seven wide receivers uh, and three tight ends. Um, so that's, that's where I was entering. Let's, uh, let's get into round one. Uh, Raybon, as you mentioned, you had the first pick. Uh, you were thinking, you said you even thought about Kelsey at number one, but you went with running back. You went with Saquon. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Saquon versus Zeke versus McCaffrey versus Kamara. Um, why Saquon? Uh, and and uh, a little bit more, why running back at that position? All these guys are very close at the top in my um, in my projections, like literally tenths of a point or just a few a tenth of a point per game separate them. So um, I went with Saquon just because the uncertainty with Ezekiel Elliott's uh, legal situation, his contract situation. I think if, if, if Zeke was fine, I would probably actually have him, uh, uh, you know, over Saquon just because I think uh, the offense that he's in um, actually. Uh, is more conducive to touchdown scoring. And I think, you know, the, the Giants might not want uh, Eli just dumping off to Saquon as much anymore. They might, you know, sneak Daniel Jones on the field or, or something like that, and things might change. So um, that's why I went there. And, and again, I just wanted to potentially get the highest scoring player um, or at least the highest scoring flex player in the whole league. And I just thought that 1-1 one, one was a little bit too early um, for, for Kelsey, for me personally. Sean, you went with Zeke number two overall. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so just to be clear, this is half-point PPR. Um, so, unfortunately, I have Zeke and McCaffrey pretty much even 
and half point PPR. If it's standard, it's Zeke all the way. If it's PPR, it's McCaffrey all the way. Uh, so I just basically flipped the coin, went with Zeke. Um, I think if I did this draft 100 times, it would be Zeke 50 times, McCaffrey 40 times, and Kamara like 10 times. Um, so uh, again, you know, I have a 30-point drop-off between the fourth running back and fifth. So I figured, you know, there's no way and any of these top four running backs are going to make it back to me. So I gambled um, that Kelsey would, and I was sadly mistaken. Um, but yeah, Kelsey was higher my model with a 40-point drop-off. Um, so that was a gamble I took, just taking one of these top running backs. You mentioned that you have, uh, in, in half-point PPR, uh, Zeke and McCaffrey ranked very close to each other with Kamara as uh, a guy who is maybe like a half tier below, something like that. And so that's how it, it played out. I went with McCaffrey, number three. Pete took Kamara, number four. Um, I think there's a, a case to be made for McCaffrey even being number one overall, just, again, depending on format and, and depending on what happens with that offense. Uh, there, there is some uncertainty with Cam Newton recovering from uh, shoulder uh, shoulder surgery. Uh, so that offense is a little bit uncertain, but uh, McCaffrey, because of his versatility, his all-around utility in that offense, uh, such a high upside guy. Um, I thought he was, uh, for me, uh, the, the clear guy to take at number three, although I would say I did slightly consider Kelsey, but I, I knew I wanted to be heavy on, on running back, and I didn't want to pass up McCaffrey because I, I just knew he wouldn't make it back to me uh, in the second round. Uh, Pete, you went with Kamara at number four, uh, and then at 2.01, uh, you started the tight end onslaught by taking Kelsey. Uh, can you talk about Kamara and Kelsey and your strategy um, at the top of the draft? Yeah, so the draft fell perfectly in my for me. Um, I've been taking Kelsey. He's I have him about sixty percent of all the drafts I've done. He started off going in the second round. Now he's the consensus number one pick in these four mans by pros, which I think is correct. Uh, the drop off between Kelsey and everyone else is so massive, and I specifically wanted to, to mark him as two one. So you guys thought I wasn't as high on tight ends. Uh, I actually have the running back tiers as Saquon one, McCaffrey two, Kamara three. I have Zeke behind Melvin Gordon at this point. I think there's a pretty strong chance that this legal stuff could be a problem. There's also the contract issue. So given the risk with Ezekiel Elliott, I've actually really underdrafted him so far this year. And if it comes out that he's fine, he's going to play all 16 games. I think that's great. Also what they did in the draft, I think his receptions and, and usage in the passing game will go down, especially if they do get the contract result. They'll want to keep him fresh and protect or protect his career. So for me, uh, it's basically perfect. Uh, I, I go McCaffrey ahead of Kamara, but I think Kamara is an incredible play this, uh, this year, um, as he's been the last couple of years. I uh, tweeted out that picture or that video with him doing all the balance stuff. Uh, he's doing a lot of training that I think is uh, kind of ahead of the curve. And uh, just with the way the NFL is going, um, you know, McCaffrey and Kamara specifically, they're essentially receivers out there. So um, I really value those two players. And a lot of times if I'm drafting against guys who are grinding these four-mans, I would take Kelsey and Ertz and just be done with tight end. Uh, that's what I like to do. I think drafting the three top tight ends is a little bit of overkill. Uh, you're going to have a lot of those guys on the bench every week. So I did that just for the, the this specific mock draft to kind of emphasize the importance of those tight ends. But, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I, I'd really need those three guys to stay healthy. Last year I employed the same strategy. Uh, had a lot of Gronk, which didn't work out, but Kelsey and Ertz were league winners. So – was really thrilled to get Kelsey, who I think is the first pick in these, this format. And uh, I love Kamara, who's my third running back. 
So guys, we basically got not just killed, we got overkilled by Pete with him uh, going with the the three tight ends just to uh, show us who's boss. Um, I went with Melvin Gordon uh, at 2.02. Again, just wanted to try to be strong at uh, at running back. And for me, uh, I don't know, it it wasn't much of a a conversation of MG3 versus David Johnson versus Le'Veon versus Gurley. Um, I think Gordon is is a, a tier, a half tier ab- above those guys. There's just a lot of uncertainty, I think, with David Johnson, Le'Veon, and, and Gurley. Uh, I just felt a little more secure with uh, Melvin Gordon, especially with his versatility as a receiver and the fact that they just use him so heavily at the goal line. Uh, Sean, you went with Devontae Adams at uh, 2.03. I'd like to get your thoughts on Adams versus Hopkins because I think those are probably the two wide receivers people are considering the most uh, as the, the number one wide receiver off the board. Uh, can you talk about those two? Yeah, so at that point, I decided, you know, I want to either initiate a wide receiver run or just start picking off the, the top six wide receivers I have in a specific tier one. Um, so I was going to kind of let you guys dictate how many of those guys I got. But, yeah, it's a tough call. Between Hopkins and Adams, I'm pretty much 50-50. Right now I'm leaning a little bit towards Adams just because Aaron Rodgers only threw 25 touchdowns last year and Adams is still able to match Hopkins' point total last year and half-point PPR. Hopkins is going to have to deal with Will Fuller and Kiki QT. Uh, hopefully they're healthy this year, but that's you know just more targets to compete with. So. Right now, I'm just leaning Adams. Uh, but, it, you know, if we did this 100 times, I'd probably draft Adams 52 times there and Hopkins 48. So it's a toss-up, but I just wanted to start uh, taking wide receivers right here. You know what, Pete, actually, I want to kick it back to you because I had a, a question about Kelsey that I forgot to ask. Um, how much of your your projection of him as the number one guy is based on the, the Tyreek Hill situation? So let's say – um, Tyreek Hill actually does end up playing eight games or six games or, or you know, however many. But let, let's say the Tyreek Hill situation works out in a way that might take away some of the targets that would go to Kelsey. Are you still as high on Kelsey? Yeah, I mean, he's going to get uh, some percentage of the season without Tyreek Hill. I think he's going to be a target monster. Um, I'm banking on Mahomes. Maybe not having the exact same season he had last year, especially if Tyreek Hill's out the whole season. But I think Mahomes is still going to be great. And I think it's going to have to come from Kelsey. Uh, Watkins has had an injury history as well. Um, we'll see what happens with the rookie receiver. But uh, Kelsey was unstoppable. And hopefully he stays healthy. The ankle stuff's a little concerning. But, uh, you know, I'm still projecting him for quite a few games. And uh, he's just such a monster when he's out there. So, to me, he's clearly the number one tight end. And uh, there's just such a huge drop-off. The biggest drop-off in tiers is uh, there's a difference between Kelsey who's in a tier by himself and Ertz and Kittle, but then the drop-off from Ertz and Kittle is just so massive, although I'm pretty bullish on O.J. Howard, who uh, I have in a tier by himself as well. So um, that's really the, the big thing is just tight end is so important. It's guaranteed to be 12.5% of your overall scoring for the whole year, and it actually breaks down to being about 15 to 16% of your scoring, potentially a smidge higher if you are as bullish on the elite three tight ends. All right, Rayvon, I want to kick it to you for uh, 2.04, and let, let's talk about that before we get to uh, the pick that you had at the top of the third round. Uh, you went with David Johnson at 2.04. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, David Johnson versus some of the other running backs that you were maybe considering, and then also David Johnson versus uh, a wide receiver that you could have taken or, or a tight end? Yeah, so again, I think my strategy you know, at the top, remembering that – um, you know, running backs are still the highest scoring players um, generally in this format that, you know, for the flex. 
Um, so if I can get, you know, those stud running backs in my flex every week, um, I'm still happy to, to do that. Uh, and, and I actually have David Johnson ranked quite highly. Um, there's really, I, I there's really no hesitation um, after, you know, those top four guys are off the board um, for me to take David Johnson. And sometimes I even take him, I've taken him, uh, you know, with the second pick in the draft that I don't have much of a drop off. I just think that the, the biggest concern with him is, is, is going to be injury, but he has played three 16 game seasons. Um, and then he, he had the one where he missed, but um, I just think I'm very bullish on the Cliff Kingsbury spread offense with Kyler Murray. I think that, you know, it, it minimizes whatever um, issues still remain with the offensive line, which by the way, I think will be a little better this year. I think um, just, you know, being a little healthier, adding some veteran guys in there will, will, will help along with just the spread offense and having to account for uh, Murray. Um, himself and, and him running the ball and, and taking that to the edge. So I think that'll open a lot more space up for Johnson. And, and remember, this is a guy who has the talent, um, you know, to, to do what he has repeatedly stated is a goal of his, which is a thousand rushing and a thousand receiving yards in a season. And when I look at, you know, the players left on the board who have a legitimate shot of putting up a Saquon type season, um, you know, David Johnson's right there at the top of that list. And, um, and, and Le'Veon Bell is too, you know, I know there's all the talk about, uh, you know, Adam Gates, and he didn't want uh, to, to, to spend the money on Le'Veon, but we know that's sharp. We know you're not supposed to spend a lot of money on running back, but if you are now a fire GM, goes out and gets you Le'Veon Bell, um, and, and you didn't want to spend the money on him, I think that might even make you more likely to use him. He has fresh, you know, he's, he's fresh after sitting out a year. We saw kind of Marshawn Lynch be, you know, be kind of benefit from that a little bit. So I don't think, I, I have no worry about him, and I think Sam Darnold will actually take uh, a step forward as well. So, um, I, I, both of those guys are guys who we've seen them do this in the past, be, be the top overall player in fantasy. Um, and, and to get to, to have now three of those guys with, with Barkley, um, Le'Veon, and, uh, and, and DJ, I think that, you know, if I couldn't get a top tight end, like if I couldn't get Kelsey, because I agree, there's a big drop off. Well, not a big drop off, but there is a drop off from Kelsey to uh, Ertz and Kittle. Um, I, I, that's the way I wanted to go, especially with, uh, with, as Sean mentioned, there's about five, six, I think, wide receivers in that tier one. Before we get to round three, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes talking about my recent experience through Airbnb experiences. Pete is on the show, and one of the things that I really admire about him is that he's always trying to live to the fullest, to be intentional, to have dynamic experiences. So a few weeks ago, I did my best Pete impersonation, and I booked an experience through Airbnb's experiences. You know about Airbnb. It's your go-to site if you're looking for a place to stay, but you should also check out the site for Airbnb experiences, which are activities that can't easily be found elsewhere. They're designed for active participation, curated for quality, and vetted for safety. These aren't typical tours and activities. Airbnb experiences are hosted by locals who have deep hands-on expertise in their fields. And with these experiences, you learn things you can't find online or in a textbook. And most importantly, you have fun. These are Airbnb experiences in over a thousand cities around the world. So there are lots of options to choose from. And you don't need to be traveling to try Airbnb experiences. You can do them right in your hometown. And that's what I did. As some of you know, my wife and I live in the great state of Iowa, where sports betting and fantasy sports are now legal, by the way. Shout out to the legislature and governor. Uh, and we moved here about three years ago. We love the area, but we haven't really explored it. And we haven't done a lot of outdoor activities, hiking, things like that. So on Airbnb experiences, we booked a hiking experience and it was amazing. I almost want to say it was life-changing. Uh, on this hike, I used muscles that I hadn't employed in probably a decade, maybe longer. Um, this hike was simultaneously tiring and reinvigorating. And it's as if this hike has jump-started my desire and drive to exercise and to be outdoors and to take time just for myself. 
Um, this experience was curated by Maria, who was incredible. She's a professional naturalist. She has been for, I think, over 30 years. She has a degree in fish and wildlife biology, and her expertise is immense. On the hike, she pointed out everything. Birds, bushes, the tracks of different animals, wild-growing vegetables we could eat. She talked about the natural and developed history of the land, about the Native Americans who lived on it, how they survived, what they hunted, their beliefs, their rituals. Along the hike, we actually saw some burial grounds that were over 500 years old. She talked about the German settlers who established isolated communities in the area, uh, which has this fascinating cultural history that I otherwise wouldn't have known. Uh, and of course, the natural history of the land was incredible. At one point, Maria had us literally walking through the creek, not crossing the, the creek, but walking in it and with it and along its flowing path. Uh, and we could see how the creek had shifted through the years. Uh, we could see how the different uh, geological layers of earth had accumulated across the centuries and millennia. Uh, and, and you could see how the landscape had naturally altered over a long period of time because of the influence of rain and wind and animals and humans and, and even glaciers. She pointed out some massive flat rocks with striations and said that the marks had been made by glaciers over a period of thousands of years. Uh, and on the hike was this great view of the Iowa River. Uh, where you can see it winding around the land and, and shaping the land. And when you're in that environment, it really puts your life into perspective, I think, on this larger scale. Um, and I found this entire experience just to be incredibly enriching and affirming and empowering. And here's the thing I, I maybe find the most amazing. Uh, this was actually very reasonably priced. I, I would be willing to pay uh, triple the amount for that experience. If the rest of the Airbnb experiences are even a quarter as good as my experience was, it's hard to imagine that you won't be satisfied with whatever experience you choose to enjoy. I cannot recommend Airbnb experiences highly enough. My, my wife and I are going on vacation later this summer, and she's already planning the things we're going to do just by scrolling through the Airbnb app and finding experiences, which I am sure will be fantastic. For your own adventures, check out airbnb.com experiences to explore one-of-a-kind activities created for the curious. All right, let's get back to football. Rayvon, you mentioned uh, going with Le'Veon Bell at the top of the, the third round. Uh, can you talk just a little bit more about the decision to go with three running backs? Yeah, so in, in this kind of format, again, you know, 13 players scored at least, uh, averaged at least 20 uh, half PPR points last year. Eight of them are quarterbacks, so you know there's not, um, you know, I think in these small, four mans and smaller leagues in general, you are trying to get, you're not trying to just get um, a solid roster of studs. Like, you really need players that are going to be the outliers, that are going to be that top-scoring player um, at the position. And so that's what I'm really gunning for early. And because, you know, uh, I felt that Pete already kind of took that away from me, um, you know, um, for the most part at tight end, because I do feel like there's a difference between Kelsey and, and Ertz. I feel like if Ertz has a, a or Kittle, excuse me, has a top um, season, it's not going to be that same kind of outlier that it might be for Kelsey, who's still, you know, his he averaged uh, about a little over 15 half PPR points a game. So that's still down from the stud running back. So the maximum you can start in a given week is three stud running backs. So I, I was fine with starting the draft with three. Um, then I kind of veered off because I didn't want to necessarily – um, kind of cannibalize some of that upside that I, I might potentially get. Like, let's say, let's say Saquon is scoring, you know, 20 points every week in Bell and, and, and DJR as well. Um, I'm not going to need um, my RB4 and 5 as much as I might need them, um, you know, it, 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 or it might not um, do this, give me the same advantage that it would, in, as you kind of mentioned at the top, Freeman, in, in a 12-man where, um, you know, there's just, it's just harder to get that kind of uh, 
that, that kind of running back depth. So um, that's why I, um, I kind of went away. But yeah, I love I love Le'Veon this year. I don't think that he's going to be um, a disappointment by any stretch of the imagination. I think Adam Gase will will ride him in in, in the run game and the pass game. And and, uh, and again, I think Darnold will take a step forward. All right, Sean, at 3.2, you went with Hopkins. So uh, the, the decision between Adams and Hopkins ended up really not mattering all that much. Uh, but can you talk about uh, the desire to have those two guys to go with two wide receivers in the first three rounds instead of hitting the running back position? Yeah, I think that was a little bit of letting the draft come to me. I didn't think that Raybon was going to take uh, three running backs to start, so I thought he might take Hopkins and one of the stud running backs there. But since he went with both running backs, that kind of ended that RB1 tier that I wanted. So um, I was happy to take Hopkins and, you know, like I said, sort of pick off at that um, top six tier. And looking overall at the position, there was about a 100-point drop-off from, you know, the top two receivers to about wide receiver 29 or 30, which I thought, you know, we'd probably draft about 30 wide receivers. So I was doing a more overall approach there and then figured, you know, these running backs, um, we're going to drop a little bit while you guys go on a wide receiver run later. Um, so I was just planning, you know, five to six rounds in advance at this point. So I was happy to just have Hopkins come to me and the decision between the two didn't really matter. All right. So at 3.3, I took Gurley. I am probably an idiot, but live free or die. I was just uh, going with this mentality that if he's actually healthy, he's a potential league winner because he, he does have the upside of scoring 20 touchdowns in a season uh, and getting a lot of receptions. Uh, so that's really what I was looking for there. At 3.4 and 4.1, Pete crushed us, as uh, has been mentioned, by taking Zach Ertz and then George Kittle. Um, Pete, I, I would like to get your thoughts on – I was just not necessarily on the strategy of going with tight ends, uh, but bypassing running backs early in the draft. Uh, you think it's, it's safe to do that? Absolutely do. This, this draft, I, I did make a mistake. So I, I – um given how the draft went, I should have had six running backs, seven receivers. I do think one of the biggest mistakes people are making is not drafting seven to eight receivers uh, in these drafts because they account for a minimum 37.5% of your scoring. And with the variance of receivers and the distributions of receivers, they end up being your flex more than running backs. Um, even in the shorter drafts, the three-mans last year, receivers were in the flex very often. Uh, so they end up accounting for about 42 to 43% of your overall scoring which means you should be taking seven to eight of them. So to me, there's also a big tier drop off. And with running backs, um, I'm totally with Rayvon. I love David Johnson this year. He's my fourth ranked running back. Uh, so I, I target him quite a bit. And then after that, I just kind of let things fall. I think Kyler Murray is going to be amazing for him. And just that offense is going to play so up tempo that David Johnson has a really, really high ceiling this year. So yeah, bypassing running back, I'm totally fine. Just kind of letting that whole tier just kind of get drafted and then people wait. I mean, David Johnson is going in like the sixth or seventh round in a lot of these four mans now. I think there's a huge premium on the elite wide receivers, Hopkins, Adams, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham. Those guys are a really big premium for me. And then the three tight ends. So I was thrilled to get the tight ends. I think I gained a big edge versus the field uh, having those three because you guys are going to be scoring so much less at the tight end position, which is why I was able to which was why I was happy to do it. But I do want those receivers, which fortunately uh, I was able to grab six receivers after uh, taking the three tight ends. All of these uh, humble brags, they're just, they're killing me. Uh, okay. I took the brags with that. There's no money on the line. It's just pride, you know? It's, there's, there's... Well, I, I sort of like how you screwed all of us over. That's yeah, the reason to know. take three. From an yeah. overall projection standpoint, the way I've modeled it out, 
the best case is you get Kelsey and Ertz or Kelsey and Kittle, and then you just don't take a tight end. Uh, most leagues, I am taking three tight ends, but if you can grab two of the top three, that's best case for your overall team. The argument to take all three of them is to, to hurt your opponents, and uh, the formats are winner-take-all, so I, I do think um, it makes sense to do that when given the opportunity. But if Adams or Hopkins would have been there, I would have left one of the uh, tight ends because I think those receivers are worth a lot as well. Uh, that's my bad, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I, I do think Gurley, Gurley is going in like the 13th or 14th round of these four minutes now, Friedman. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a donkey move. The, the three tight end approach is, is such a dominant approach. Um, it's, yeah, I, I mean, when, when you did it, it wasn't a surprise that you did it. At the same time, it was totally a surprise. Uh, at uh, 4.2, I went with James Conner. Um, just think there's a lot of potential upside there. I think he's a better pass catcher. Um, than people gave him credit for uh, entering the NFL and even coming out of last season. Um, so expecting him basically to be the guy that we saw for the first 14 games of the year. And I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off in that offense uh, with the departure of Antonio Brown. I think they're pretty much still going to be the uh, the high-flying Steelers. Man, at 4.3, Sean, you went with Patrick Mahomes uh, taking the first quarterback off the board. Can you talk about the decision to take Mahomes that early? And do you have thoughts on uh, the late-round quarterback strategy in general in the four-person drafts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in 12-man drafts, I, I definitely wait till, you know, past round 10 before I even consider QB. Um, and I kind of mentioned it earlier that, you know, these drop-offs sort of even out when you have 11 to 23 picks between you. Um, this is the case where I, I have Mahomes 25 points higher than the next guy. Um, and that's even factoring in a ton of regression. I only have him projected for about 36 and a half passing touchdowns. So it's not like I'm being outrageous with my projections with him. Um, so just with that drop off alone, I thought it was worth taking him there because I was looking ahead and I, you know, I saw I would get either Julio, Odell or Juju. I'd probably still get two out of three of the last um, of the RB1 tier I wanted. Um, and then Pete already took all the tight ends. So I was just going to wait for the, the mid range tight end, which everyone fell to me. So the, it didn't really change the next four or five rounds of you know, my draft. So, you know, it was like, do I risk having Mahomes taken by round eight? No, I just took him there. And, you know, the next four or five picks are exactly what I would have had regardless. So I just felt that was the time to take that 25-point drop-off. Why not? All right. So uh, after corner took Mahomes, uh, we had Raybon going wide receiver, wide receiver uh, at the end of the fourth round and top of the fifth round with Michael Thomas and Julio Jones. Uh, Raybon, can you talk a little bit about how you are ranking your wide receivers, specifically Julio versus OBJ, uh, or just kind of how your wide receiver tiers are shaking out? You know, the thing I love OBJ this year because I love Baker Mayfield um, this year, who I, I'm sure we'll talk about later on. But um, this, the thing about this is there's no uh, roster rules. And so I just felt that – I feel that Odell is a, a much larger injury risk than both Julio and Michael Thomas at this point um, in their respective careers. And so that's why in, in a lot of best ball formats, you know, I'm, I'm actually fading Odell a little bit. Um, I like him a little bit more in redraft where if something does go wrong, you know, I can still kind of make up for it. And I'm not kind of stuck with this guy. I took really high that I think has one of the higher injury risks among stud players at, at any position. So um, that was really why. And, you know, again, I think um, Julio, Michael Thomas, those guys are, are, are in that same tier. And, um, you know, for me, it was just getting – uh, two guys that I, I think could finish as the top wide receiver in fantasy. You know, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking of when when I'm doing these smaller drafts. It's it's not just um, it, the strategy is really just 
I need the outliers. I need the highest scoring players at positions um, because everyone's going to have really good players and everyone's going to have uh, studs. And so, you know, I, I probably would have taken or, or at least thought about taking Mahomes in this spot. But I do think there will be a little bit of regression, as Sean mentioned. And I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, for, for Mahomes at a position that's not flexed, a 25-point drop-off is essentially about a point and a half. And um, I, I thought that it's – so my late-round quarterback strategy is a little different in, in these formats. It's not necessarily that – like, I would like to have Mahomes, but if I don't get him, um, it's more so that I'm just going to be a little bit more aggressive – um, when I think that uh, the, the the next tier guys who I think could out, you know, have a, have a reasonable, at least a, a semblance of a chance to outscore Mahomes, um, which are, you know, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, uh, Andrew Luck, and Kyler Murray, you know, and Aaron Rodgers. So, and so I think those guys are, are, are kind of, I'm fine with being aggressive for them. I'm not going to necessarily wait um, on purpose, but, uh, you know, I just felt at this point that I wanted to get, you know, two uh, guys that if Hopkins or Adams falters, they could be um, th- those overall wide receiver ones. All right. So at 5.2, Sean, you went with Beckham. I'm imagining that Beckham is uh, maybe the last wide receiver in, in your kind of top of the wide receiver tiers uh, or, or one of the, the guys in there. But uh, can you talk about uh, Beckham uh, and going with him as opposed to drafting a running back there? Yeah, so right there, like you said, I was trying to get the last um, guy from the, the top six that I had mentioned. Um, I knew, um, you know, there's no way he, Juju, or Antonio Brown would all make it back to me. I thought Pete would take a running back here. Um, so, you know, I, I figured I was going to get either uh, two out of three out of Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, or Nick Chubb. They're all the same to me, so I didn't really have a preference. So I thought right here, it's basically taking Odell Beckham over like a Mike Evans, as opposed to taking my pick of the three running backs I consider equal. So I just took the chance of taking Beckham there and then hope uh, two out of three of Mixon, uh, Cook, and Chubb made it back to me and you guys would decide which two I got. So I went with uh, Mixon at 5.3 just to finish off my uh, running back times five strategy uh, at the top of the draft. And I, I do see actually a, a difference between uh, Mixon and Cook and Chubb. I think Mixon is uh, relative to Chubb, a much better pass catcher relative to Cook, someone who uh, is healthier. I mean, he's not in a good offense. That's one thing that is very clear with Mixon. Uh, his offense could be very bad, but he is a big bodied three down guy who was really productive in college. Uh, he has been productive in the NFL uh, and has good athleticism. So uh, happy to get him. Um, I think there's a, you know, a universe that isn't really all that unthinkable in which Mixon is a, a top three, top five running back at the end of the year. So um, happy to get him. Pete, I was expecting you to take a, a running back at some point in the fifth round or the sixth round, uh, but you went with Juju and Antonio Brown. Uh, can you talk about uh, kind of your wide receiver tiers a little bit uh, and, and where you see Juju and Antonio Brown stacking in those tiers uh, and then uh, why a wide receiver over running back? Yeah, I agree with you on Mixon, too. He's kind of the last guy for me. I have him ahead of Chubb and Cook as well, Friedman. So I, I did like that pick, uh, although I would have taken receiver. I'm taking these same receivers over even David Johnson and Melvin Gordon in these formats. Um, so to me, Juju is kind of fringe, maybe in the tier of his own. I agree that Beckham, Julio, and Michael Thomas are ahead, uh, but then Juju is ahead of the next uh, crew of guys. Uh, I don't actually love Antonio Brown this year, although I do think the Raiders will bounce back and be better offensively. Uh, but he's the next wide receiver in that tier, and I'm just at this point in the draft really focused on getting these wide receivers. So I love Mike Evans. He's probably my favorite, actually, 
uh, have Mike Evans a little bit ahead of Antonio Brown. Um, he's one of my favorite targets. I'm, I'm targeting the Buccaneers heavy this year. I love Evans, Godwin, uh, Winston, and Howard quite a bit. Um, but I was hopeful that he might fall, which fortunately he did. So uh, those are the, the guys that I'm looking at, and I'm just drafting receiver like crazy uh, in these rounds in the four-mans until Julian Edelman's off the board. Yeah, uh, we will definitely talk about uh, Mike Evans in part two of the episode. Uh, speaking about the Bucks uh, at 6.2, I took OJ Howard, uh, and maybe I went tight end earlier than I had to, but um, you know, as, as Pete mentioned earlier, uh, Howard is, uh, I think, pretty clearly the, the fourth guy uh, in, in the tight end rankings. And uh, based on the power move that Pete made uh, by going with the three tight ends, I didn't want to get shut out of, of tight ends. And uh, again, I thought there was a, a pretty clear difference between Howard and the tier of guys uh, underneath him. Uh, so I took Howard. Uh, again, maybe I went a little bit early at tight end, but uh, feel pretty good about Howard at six. Um, or in the sixth round. Uh, Sean, at 6.3, you went with Dalvin Cook. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on him. Uh, injury concerns, uh, anything there? And then also uh, thoughts on Kubiak and the impact that he might have on the offense. Although he's not technically the offensive coordinator, I think he is going to have a pretty heavy hand in what that team does. Uh, so what are your thoughts with Cook? Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't love Cook. It was more of necessity at this point. I definitely had to start taking running backs. Uh, I do like the end of this RB1 tier and the beginning of RB2 tier. So I was happy to get Cook here. Um, you know, it is a concern. His health is a concern, but I think best ball might mitigate that a little bit. Um, Gary Kubiak could help. Uh, you know, they fired uh, John Filippo last year after that Monday Night Football disaster. And then, you know, it was clear they wanted to become a more balanced team. And then, very next game, Dalvin Cook had season highs in every rushing stat, 19 carries, 136 yards, two touchdowns. So I think this year they try to be a bit more balanced. Um, with Latavius Murray gone, you know, he has his ceilings a little bit higher to become a workhorse back. Uh, rookie Alexander Madison could fill in uh, Murray's role, but, you know, no guarantee. So I just thought, you know, I like Cook's upside here and wanted to get him before, you know, I have a pretty big drop off um, from these guys to the, you know, next tier of Sonny Michelle, Derek Henry, Leonard Fournette. So definitely wanted to grab him here. Um, but, you know, he's got to stay healthy. Um, I, I don't, you know, overweight injury history too much. Um, I'm, I'm just guessing he'll be fine this year. But uh, with him, that's always a concern. All right, Rayvon, you closed out the sixth round uh, with Adam Thielen. Uh, and then at the top of the seventh round, uh, which we're going to talk about in the next episode, you went with Stefan Diggs. Uh, here, I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on going with another wide receiver and uh, passing up on running back. I just thought that with the three running backs I had, uh, Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, and, and David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, that those guys um, just had such high floor ceiling combos um, that I didn't want to cannibalize it yet when, you know, I think what, what, what Pete said was really sharp just about how um, you, you end up with so receivers in the flex anyway. So I thought, you know, if, if, if I end up with those three running backs in the flex, and again, those, you know, those guys will likely be the highest scoring players in the league if that, if they are my, if, you know, the third guy is my flex a lot. I just wanted to make sure that um, I wasn't kind of ruining some of my upside from potentially nailing those picks by um, running it back, no pun intended, just yet. Um, I wanted to continue to, to, to hit wide receiver because I think that um, after that top, you know, those top um, maybe those RB1s in a normal 12-team league or so, there, there is kind of a, a drop-off. You start getting into that, that you know, frozen pond tier and that, you know, almost frozen pond tier. So um, I, I just felt at this point that I wanted to keep um, kind of, you know, 
banging wide receiver and making sure that um, I had an advantage um, or, or try to get an advantage at running back and wide receiver because I thought, you know, I think quarterback is generally going to flatten out between all three of us um, just to, because it's only a four-man league, so you only, you only need to take uh, eight quarterbacks really or, or, or whatever. And, and I thought that Pete already had that advantage at tight end, so I'm really kind of aiming for trying to win uh, running back and wide receiver. So that I think that would be my best way of kind of um, if I end up beating you guys, that's, that's how I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to have um, a really high score in the flex um, every week, like one of those outlier scores. And so, and I thought I might have, might have kind of accomplished that already. So I, and the, uh, the backs that I could take later on would kind of, as long as I took, you know, I, I was planning to take six backs. So as long as I took six backs, um, I thought it would kind of even out later on and I didn't need to, to take another one yet. All right, that is going to do it for part one of this two-part episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to check out part two. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. For Sean and Chris and Peter, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you in next episode.